everybody, welcome to another episode of the Cats HQ Podcast. I'm John Hill, sitting alongside Fletcher Page. We are the Courier Journal's UK beat writing team. Uh, we are recording this on Friday afternoon, shortly after John Calipari's pre-Alabama news conference. Saturday, Kentucky takes on Alabama, trying to end a four-game losing streak. I think it's just the seventh four-game losing streak since 1927 for Kentucky. So it's dire times here in Lexington, Fletcher. You've been on the road uh, at home at Rupp Arena alongside this team for all four of the losses. Uh, talking to Calipari today, he did not seem very happy, as you might expect. It was probably as surly as he's been maybe all season in one of these press conferences. Get the impression maybe he just wants to get in there and get it fixed and move on and stop talking about it, which at this point I think we'd be uh, fine with stop talking about it too. But what have you made uh, since we talked last week, two more losses? Uh, it's drastic times now. Uh, anything for you of note these last two games that gives you hope that it's still going to turn around? I don't know about hope, and I especially don't like the – if we're talking the long-term view of this thing, you know, let's say they win three out of the next five, um, especially given the fact that they've got some home games left. Uh, they get in the tournament. Um, they're uh, either an eight, a nine, or a seven seed in that view or in that scenario, and then they're going to have to play the one or the two seed in the second game of the tournament. So if that's the case, I don't have hope for this team. But I do want to lay this out there for you, is that during this losing streak, um, here's a here's a couple things that if I would have told you going into these individual games that something was going to happen, you would say, well, Kentucky's going to win this game. Um, at Auburn, it was Auburn shot eight for twenty-seven on threes, and they were they were they really shot terrible for the whole game, thirty-six percent for the game. Um, at at Missouri, uh, those Tigers had twenty turnovers, and Kentucky had twenty offensive rebounds. Um, against Tennessee, uh, the Volunteers were five of twenty-one from three. So. There's some things happening in these games where you're like, hey, you know, Kentucky carved out the area where this is how you steal a game on the road or this is how you win a game against a tough conference opponent. And they just weren't able to do it. And I keep coming back to three statistical categories. It's three-point shooting, which we laid out last week. Same thing. Free throw shooting, we laid out last week. And turnovers. I mean, Kentucky got demolished by Auburn at the free throw line and had too many turnovers, especially early. To And that just sort of negated what they were able to do on defense uh, against three-point shooting. The turnovers came up again today on Friday in the press conference. Uh, I think four of the five starters have more turnovers than they do assists in the year. Obviously, passing and getting better ball movement has been a point of emphasis from Calipari for weeks now. He made up that kind of crazy uh, assist uh, statistic that he invented on himself. It's kind of like chances created in soccer. Uh, but basically, you get an assist for anything, whether they make the shot or not. I bet they're still getting some of those because they certainly aren't making very many shots out there. Uh, but the actual assists have been bad. Turnovers have been up. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, for as good as he has been, has made some really critical turnovers down the stretch in a few of these games. Uh, any hope for that improving? I know Hamadou Diallo has been particularly bad, and maybe the hope there is is that he's just not going to play as much down the stretch. Uh, but it, is it just an issue for this team at this point? Is this just who the, these guys are in terms of ball or taking care of the ball at least? I think so, and I think that that's really the, the biggest flaw of this team. And if you want to criticize, I know that you know Calipari's getting a lot of criticism for the way that he coaches – um, but I think the biggest criticism is obviously roster makeup. Uh, it seems like he's got four or five four men, and that's about it. I think Kevin Knox really is playing out of position at the three, in my opinion. I think he's a four. And I think Shea Gilgis-Alexander is probably playing out of position at the one, really. I think he, in the NBA he might be like a like an off, off the uh, combo guard two that is a defensive specialist. So the, the biggest problem that they really have offensively is that Kevin Knox – isn't is a great scorer but he can't really create for himself 
and he doesn't have anybody out there that can create for him. So I don't see the assist and turnover, the assist to turnover ratio improving because I have no evidence or have seen no past experience where that would lead me to believe that they can flip that switch over. Yeah, just just to get specific, specific here, the the actual stats: Shea has 118 assists, 72 turnovers. Okay, that one's fine. Uh, Quade Green has 59 assists, 43 turnovers. But the other guys, uh, Kevin Knox has 40 assists, 59 turnovers. P.J. Washington has 47 assists, 50 turnovers. Hamdou Diallo has 37 assists, 44 turnovers. Wyndon Gabriel has 17 assists and 30 turnovers. So that's pretty bad all the way around. Nick Richards, 8-23. and 23. Sasha Kalea Jones, 8-16. and 16. Jared Vanderbilt's actually tied 10-10. and 10. So you got two guys in your entire rotation that have more assists than turnovers. That's that's not really going to cut it. And, and previous Calipari teams have turned the ball over. Uh, even that John Wall team turned the ball over a lot just because he played at such a speed that maybe his teammates weren't all accustomed to. I think the uh, 2014 team had more assists or more turnovers than assists in the regular season. Uh, so it's happened before, but I don't know that there's a lot of reason to think that this one's going to turn around. Like you said, I mean, Shea is your best ball handler uh, at times because of his size, at least, because Quade Green maybe gets a little bit of mismatch for being so small. And then if he's your guy in the late-game situation, we saw it against Tennessee – uh, we saw it against uh, Auburn again to make those the you just don't feel real confident with him with the ball in his hands right now in clutch time. Uh, that's a concern too. And Calipari said today he was actually worse in the beginning of games than he was at the end of games. Uh, so I don't know where that's going to come from either. Uh, is there a way they can make up for it? Just assuming that that's going to continue to be an issue. I I don't think so because it just seems like there's just so much inconsistency. I, I don't know who you depend on for production. I don't know who you depend on to be the voice that you need as a leader. You know, Hamadou Diallo scored in double figures every game in December. I don't know where that version of him went. Um, Quade Green's only hit six threes um, during this losing streak, and I, I would say it's maybe some of that, maybe some of his uh, fall-off in play is due to the back injury that he had in January, missing some time trying to come back, and he had to come back with Shea Gilgis-Alexander having taken his starting spot, so maybe he's adjusting to that. But he's not the same player that he was, and I think you can go down the roster of – uh, you know, Kenny Payne hinted that Nick Richards has great practices, has confidence in workouts, and it's not translating to games. Uh, Calipari didn't even play Sasha Kalea Jones against Auburn, which I didn't really understand his explanation for that. But um, P.J. Washington is another guy that you just can't put your faith in. So where everybody keeps making this comparison to the 2014 team or the 2011 team. But I don't. This team is not like those teams. Yeah, I think the the interesting point there, and, and I think it was Kitty Payne who, or maybe it was Cal. One of the two said recently that basically, and it was it was Cal Perry before the uh, Missouri game, maybe. But he said the problem is like you don't, you can't count on any one guy. There's not been a guy who's been consistent the entire season. And if you're within, you know, five or six percent of what you are. That's okay, but when there are these wide variances that we've seen with guys, even you know Kevin Knox to Hamadou Diallo to PJ Washington to whoever, then that's trouble when you can't when it just adds that much more uncertainty to your to your team every day. And that 2014 team, you at least knew what you were going to get from Julius Randle every game. I mean, you're probably going to get a double double. He wasn't you know amazing all the time, but he was really good. And you had veterans like Alex Boythris, um, Willie Colley Stein, who obviously had not played in the tournament because they went to the NIT the year before, but they were older guys who had played a lot on another team. Uh, and then the Twins were talented players that, that figured it out at the end of the season, and obviously Aaron Harrison can make shots at, at, at critical moments, uh, but they were maybe inconsistent like some of these guys were. In 2011, 
you at least had Brandon Knight, who you knew what you were going to get from him pretty much every game. This team just does not have that guy. We thought it was Kevin Knox for a while, and it clearly isn't. Even within that Auburn game, he looked amazing for, what, you know, 25 minutes of it or whatever, and then just disappeared for the last 10, 15 minutes of the game. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander has looked that guy at times, and, and Calipari said before the Auburn game several times that Shea's been their best player by far. It's not even close. He's the one guy who's playing hard and playing the way they want to. And then he makes these critical mistakes in, in key moments down the stretch. Uh, I don't know that at this point in the season you can expect that guy to emerge. Uh, I think I asked one of the players before the Auburn game uh, how they deal with that, and they said it's got to be by a, a committee anyway. You need multiple guys to step up and do it, and maybe that happens uh, when you get to postseason play. But there's just not a lot of reason to. And there wasn't, to be fair, there was not a lot of reason to think those 2011 teams or the 2014 teams were going to turn it around at this point in their seasons either. But even more so this year, when you don't have any sort of certainty that you can hang your hat on what you're going to get night in and night out. That, that's really worrisome at this point in, in you know mid to late February. Right. And I, I'll, I'll use Wendy and Gabriel actually as an example of just how bizarre this team is in terms of trying to form an identity. Uh, and it's mid-February, and that, that's way too late, in my opinion, to be doing some of these things. Winion, I think, has earned a spot in the starting lineup due to his effort and his energy. And, and he, so he makes the second start of the season against Auburn. And all season long we've been hearing about Winion just needs to catch, shoot, or pass. Yeah. That's his role. He's, I think he's a good three-point shooter, uh, one of the best that Kentucky has. Winion, though, in the Auburn game, he actually changed the game um, for a brief stint. By a dribble drive dunk. Yep. So here we are, like after all season, all Cal Perry's heard is he don't dribble it, get rid of it, shoot it, get rid of it. And Winion's driving and dunking. And that was a great play, but it's like it's fe- it's mid February and we're seeing things from these players. In this instance, it was good. Like I didn't think Winion Gabriel could do that. I think he did it another time earlier during this losing streak. You're going, wow, I didn't know he could do this. But the flip side of that is. Um, you can run down the list of things that you think a player might be able to do in this, like Shea having turnovers late or Hamadou Diallo sort of going non-existent or Kevin Knox being phased out of a game. So it just feels like there's no like fundamental identity individually or collectively. And it just sort of leaves you just wondering like, how's this, how's this going to turn around? Here, here's my one point of, if you're a fan out there, maybe the, the hope or the, the light at the end of the tunnel maybe not to panic as much as you are at the moment. It's inarguable, really, that the teams that they've lost to in this stretch, Missouri, Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Auburn, are all good teams. I mean, among that group, maybe Missouri's still in the bubble, but they're they're pretty clearly, I think, in the field at this point. Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Auburn are all very good teams. A&M, the worst of that group, but probably the most talented, uh, worst in terms of record, most talented in terms of roster. Auburn and, and Tennessee might be you know, two or three seeds, both of them. These are really good teams. It's not like Kentucky was out there losing to some of the bottom. It's not. I mean, South Carolina, they lost to at that 2014 team. That team was terrible, and and they were really bad, and the SEC was really bad, and Kentucky lost some terrible games down the stretch. So these are at least good teams. And so I asked Calipari today, basically, if you get to the tournament, if you get through uh, this kind of stretch of, of the SEC play, assuming you, you win maybe three or last five, uh, maybe two of your last five and win a game or two in, in St. Louis and, and get into the field, do you think the overall quality of the SEC being better will better prepare the team once they get to March? Will that help them play some of these first and second round games against teams that maybe didn't come from a league as strong as the SEC this year? Will that help? And he wasn't really buying that argument today. He basically said, well, we got to get through it first. We got to get to that point. Uh, do you think that the 
the improvement of the league and the quality of these teams they've lost to offers any sort of reason to maybe it's not as bad. I mean, clearly Kentucky is not as good as Auburn right now. They're not as good as TNC. But is it possible that they're still a, a team in that you know 25 to 40 mix in the country and they just happen to be playing teams that are in the you know 1 to 15 mix? Yes, I agree with this premise, and I'll tell you why. I think because there's no elite um, overall best player on this Kentucky team in terms of like NBA talent, there's no John Wall. And because there's no veteran, experienced leader, there's no Dominique Hawkins or Darius Miller, um, I think that this team is, you know, on a probably still a regular basis going through things that they didn't even think that they would go through. Like, I think losing has – you kind of have to learn what that means, uh, what the implication is, same with winning. I think that this team – I think that they are certainly what you call battle-tested. Yeah. And that doesn't normally happen in the SEC up until about, what, maybe last season? Right. I mean, even last season, though, Kentucky went 16-2. Yeah. and two. Yeah. And, and we were and we're always talking at this point in the year generally like how many games winning in a row is too many to go into the exactly. tournament and get there and, and and looking up that list of you know no teams won the tournament that won X number of games in a row or whatever uh, that's not a problem this year for sure right um, but if you're six and seven in the conference I certainly have played close in most of those losses it helps I think it will help but they're getting beat by the kinds of teams that they're going to run into pretty soon uh, in that tournament. Yeah, so these are a lot of kind of eight, nine, seven, ten, six, it, eleven kind of games. It's interesting to me though. I think it's a great premise, and I really wish that Cal wasn't in a bad. Honestly, Cal was worthless today. I'll just say really that. I, if if he was standing here, I would say thanks for nothing, <laughs> because I mean we had obviously there's a losing streak going on, but you asked a, a question about the Louisville NBA team. He didn't. He acted. He said he didn't even know about it. That was not useful. No. I asked him about the Facebook um, documentary. documentary that's going on. Reality show. Yeah. He didn't want to talk about it. People asked him about John Petty and Colin Sexton. Gave nothing on that. But your question is, the question about has the SEC prepared you, not made your resume good yeah. or whatever, has it actually prepared you when you step on the court and play against a team from the Big Ten or the Big East or whatever? I think that that is a, a legitimate discussion and conversation that I would like a Hall of Fame basketball coach to sort of help me understand better. Yeah, and and in fairness, they the last team they played outside of the SEC, they won right at West exactly. Virginia. Yeah, and that's a that's a good team. That's a top twenty five team, obviously. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I I think that that's if you're looking for hope, and and I kind of get the impression that most Kentucky fans aren't even looking for hope at this point. They're basically just like, let's move on and yeah. and get through this and. Uh, and and get Tyler Hero on campus so we can get excited about that guy who's going to be here for multiple years. We hope until he declares for the draft after a season. But <laughs> I digress. But I, I if you're looking for hope, that's the reason I think you can. Is that these teams they've lost to are good teams. Uh, they're obviously going to play more good teams. And Calipari keeps coming back to this point. He said it again today. If we can just win a game, I think we can go on a little bit of a run. We can get this turned on. There's you know you get the confidence, you get through the hoop. They play Alabama on Saturday. Um, we won't talk too much about that game because probably a lot of you will listen to it after the game. But between Alabama and uh, I think Tuesday is at Arkansas, uh, then they then they obviously get Ole Miss at home down the stretch, which you would think they would win, uh, and then uh, Missouri and at Florida the last two. What do you kind of see from that end of the stretch season? Is there reason? Do you think that Kentucky's going to win the three out of the last five that they need to to get to five hundred in the SEC? I do because three of them are at Rupp. Yeah. So that's where I, that's where I'm sticking with that. 
I don't this team on the road, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not really gonna roll with that. Arkansas is a tough place. And you know what? If you look at the standings, Florida it. has been well, they do lose there. They lose at both Arkansas, those places a lot. So. A lot. Yeah. But Florida has been disappointing now yeah. down the stretch. I know they're dealing with injuries. So they need a win too to get in better standing. So I don't trust this team on those two games. I think they'll get the other three. They'll they'll go to St. Louis. That's that's the thing I have no clue on. Yeah. What happens in St. Louis if they're playing you know, these early games that we've not we're not used to them playing? Yeah, I mean they're almost certainly going to play on Thursday at this point. Obviously they're they're not going to fall far enough to be in that terrible Wednesday session of SEC basketball with the four worst teams in the, in the league. But that means and and I think if it's their uh, if they're the five and the six, then they get one of those two teams from the play in games or whatever. But if you're the seven the or eight right now, yeah, they're the eight right now. So you could be in the seven or the eight, and you could play another team in the same group of A&M, Georgia, whatever, who are going to be fighting for their, their NCAA tournament lives just as much as Kentucky is right there, even more so if you're a Georgia, if you're a Mississippi State, a team that doesn't have any sort of real non-conference resume but has been okay in the league and maybe could you know be a team that goes to St. Louis and wins the automatic bid and steals the bid from something. Those teams are going to be desperate too and playing for even more than Kentucky. And we have not really seen this Kentucky team respond to that desperation. They play much better when they get down, obviously, and they have a few times in this in this streak, but they just don't seem like they have that same kind of mindset that, Oh boy, we need to go out and win this game or something bad can happen. And maybe when it gets to win or go home, it'll, it'll come out. Uh, but I just don't, I, if you go into St. Louis needing to win a game or two there, I think that's a bad recipe for me. I think about that 2013 NIT team that needed to go to Nashville and win a couple games to get in the tournament field and just got embarrassed by Vanderbilt, a team that had like, you know, a hundred fans from its home city in the arena with, you know, 20,000 Kentucky fans there or whatever it was. Uh, I, I don't know that I can I would count on this team to win in St. Louis if they need to to get in the tournament field. Not if they're playing Texas A&M. Yeah. I think that that'd be tough. Um, you're right. The group of the teams right now that could be playing Arkansas, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, that's tough. Yeah, those teams are, are going to be in it too. All right, you mentioned one thing that Kyle Perry did not want to talk about very much today, uh, but we're going to because we can talk about whatever we want to. Uh <laughs> They announced officially this week that Facebook Watch, whatever that is, we did not—I did not really know that was a thing before this week—is uh, unveiling a, I think it's a ten-part uh, miniseries, mm-hmm. or it's at least a multi-episode miniseries about this Kentucky basketball team. First episode uh, airs Saturday. We have seen this crew around throughout the year; uh, they've been everywhere. I think it was when we were in West Virginia. They were uh, a couple of the guys were in the same hotel as us, and we. Ran into him at one point. There was a day where one of our friends got his uh, car, put a boot on uh, at, at Memorial Coliseum, and one of the the camera crew guys was commiserating because it had happened to him too. So these guys have been here throughout the year. It's not a new thing, but we're finally going to see what they ha- what they unveil what the show is on Saturday. Uh, I personally think it's a terrible idea <laughs> for this Kentucky team, at least this specific Kentucky mm-hmm. team. They did the same thing in t- in 2013 at the beginning of the year where ESPN came into their all access reality show about that team because they were the defending national champions, but no one on that team really won that championship except Kyle Wilcher. And he was, you know, the seventh most important player on that team. Uh, so I think it kind of contributed to that early season confidence that wasn't necessarily earned and wasn't warranted that we've seen from this team a little bit too. And, and that 2013 team thought they had arrived because everybody was referring to them as the national, defending national champions, even though they had played very little to no part in that. If I'm Calipari uh, and all the things he's talked about, about you know not buying in and not supporting each other and not playing for the team, 
I don't know that I like the idea of a documentary film crew wandering around every day and making these guys think they're that much more important. He said today that they just ignore it. They don't even notice they're there. Are you buying that idea? Uh, and maybe am I looking, am I, am I being too negative here about the, uh, the, the Facebook documentary we're about to see? No, I think it reinforces a lot of the things that you would, if you were going to stereotype a team that was comprised of eight freshmen, seven or eight freshmen, um, some of the things they're having to battle against, one, I think it's selfishness. Two, it's insecurity. I think yeah. that's a thing. You're trying to always prove yourself as an individual in this in this realm. Uh, but also, uh, Calipari frequently says, are, are you going to get in and work? Are you going to do what you need to do for your team? Or are you going to be cool? Yeah. Are you going to act cool? You know, If there's cameras around you all the time and there's a mic and things you do, things you say, that would totally change the way that you acted, would it not? I mean, I guess you get used to it you know, if you're like a Kardashian. Yeah, I mean, I just look at, our, at these pregame news conferences we go to you know, twice a week that are not always very useful for us because mostly there's already 15 cameras there mm-hmm. or whatever and you know, 15 more people with their phones up recording videos like we are in Facebook Living and, and whatever else. And so maybe it just blends in together for those guys because you're already dealing with so much of it. But it, it's very noticeable even in those situations. I mean, when there's a dude standing on a ladder with a camera <laughs> and a giant boom mic behind you, I, I think it's pretty noticeable there uh, regardless. And that's not even to mention uh, the practices and the meetings and whatever else kind of scenarios that we don't see into where presumably these cameras are and they're going to they're gonna show part of this program. I think Cal said in the release announcing it, the reason that they did this and it's different is it's not necessarily about the team or the season or whatever. It's about the players and how uh, you get a group of kids to come together or whatever or their stories, maybe. And in one of the promos they've prominently featured Winning Gabriel, who obviously has a very good, compelling backstory. And maybe we'll hear more about that in the first episode or something like that, whatever. And so maybe if it's less about the team, that's not so much, but if it's more about the, the individual stories, then that kind of feeds into the idea of not, you know, being out for you and not the team, which has been a criticism of this group so far. I'm interested to see how it is. I will say for all of my criticism about that 2012, 13 ESPN all access documentary for many years after that, I doubt it's the case anymore because that might've been a different, might as well have been a different age for these guys who are 16, 17 now. But for many years after that, Recruits, when you talk to them, players who came to, to Kentucky, these one and done, you know, high five star recruits, whatever, many of them said their very first exposure to the program was that documentary. And that's what really turned them on to, wow, Kentucky's cool. I don't know that Facebook Watch or whatever it is is going to have that same sort of recruiting benefit, but maybe it is. Maybe it's the future. Maybe it's the future. And, and to Calipari's credit, he's always on the kind of cutting edge. And I think that, as much as anything, maybe is why they're doing this. So they yeah. can say they were the first ones and in, in, in the on the cutting room board. Well, what benefit do you see from it if well, there is a benefit? Shea Gilgis Alexander told me this. So I'm at, I'm, the attribution for this is him. I've not confirmed this with the UK, which I don't know how far I'd get with that anyway. He told me that Calipari had final edit control. So this is ultimately it's being presented to you by Facebook, but yeah. this is a John Calipari joint. Uh, I asked Shay if he, basically what I said, I said, did you feel weird? Did you want these cameras around? And if the point is to show who you are, you know, were you able to be you? And he said, well, I knew coach wasn't going to let them do anything that would look bad on me because, and then I actually asked him explicitly, I said, so Calipari has final edit. And he was like, yeah. So this is clearly, um, you know, John said in the press release that they're transparent and all this stuff. This is clearly 
an opportunity to market the program in a different way. And uh, at the end of this project, it will have gone through John Calipari's hands and it will be presented the way he wants it to be. Yeah, that, that's that's an interesting point, especially because when I tweeted after they announced it, that this was the first time they had had one of these reality shows since that NIT team, uh, Eric Lindsay, their sports information director, tweeted back at me to say, oh, no, we did this documentary um, Blue Buds or whatever it's called. I don't remember in 2014, 15, the 38 and one team. But that documentary was produced in-house by UK. It was their own Kentucky Wildcats TV video crew. The media relations department are all listed as as producers on the credits mm-hmm. on iTunes or whatever. And it did not come out until much much after the season was already finished. It was not something that was happening during the season like this one will be or like that ESPN documentary was in 2013. So I thought those are two vastly different things. But if Kentucky does have editorial control over it and, and can say what's on and what's not, then maybe it's not as different as I thought it was and – and you won't see as much uh, necessarily transparency as, as you would thought. I think the perception of that ESPN documentary was very similar, that Calipari had a lot of control over what they could see. I don't know that he had editorial control after the fact, but they definitely told them, you can't be here, you can't be in mm-hmm. these certain things. And I think that was the same thing with the 30 for 30 that ESPN made about him. Uh, but there was a scene in that all-access documentary where in a practice, Calipari is just destroying Ryan Harrow early in the season. And it was a whole, I mean, it was most of the focus of an episode was about this Brian Harrow and how he was just on him and on him and on him and whether he could deal with it and whatnot. And at the time we were like, wow, that's interesting, whatever. I'm, I can't believe they're showing that. And then it was this huge storyline for the whole season about Ryan Harrow dealing with the, the pressure and dealing with Calipari being so hard on him. And, and obviously it didn't go very well. And <laughs> it was a problem the entire year. Uh, so I wonder even uh, it. I mean, Calipari sends messages to us all the time through, through the media or through his, to his players through us. Uh, all the time. And, and I'll be interested to see if, if this Facebook thing, if we see on Saturday, this first episode, uh, send any sort of these messages that he's been trying to get to us, to, uh, to his players through us the last yeah, few weeks. Yeah. And I don't, to that point, I actually, if I'm like a, a, a non-biased, if I'm not a fan, like let's say I live in Seattle, Washington, I don't care about Kentucky. It's actually, you, you can make a joke. Like I bet Facebook wishes they went to Duke this season or something. Yeah. And we got a team that was, you know, on the one seed line. Uh, I think it's way more interesting. Definitely. The, the, I was going to say, see, yeah. I would want to see this Kentucky team. Like, cause part of the promo is like building to greatness or something. Yeah. And it, that's not what's built being built right now. So I actually, as a consumer, I'm more interested to see John Calipari after a loss than a win. I want to see a practice today after yeah. they lose at Auburn. And hopefully we get that now. I, of course, and I know a lot of people don't care about this. I would die for this kind of access. I would love a one-on-one interview with Winnie Gabriel about his past. It's something I've asked to do, and it just hasn't worked out. Um, but it is a little cringeworthy for me when you see the Facebook crew, and they're, they all wear Kentucky hats, and they're wearing Kentucky gear. And you're, it's pretty clear, like, if, if there's something that would be interesting in a documentary to me, and it's a little bit negative... It's pretty clear to me that that's not going to be in this documentary. Yeah, I think there's a there's a real strong uh, chance of that. And so I, I'm really intrigued to see what it is. I guess I'm going to have to figure out what Facebook watches before tomorrow to watch it uh, online. But I'm really intrigued. And I think it's uh, – Cal blew it off today when you asked him about it. But I 100% think it's going to be a storyline for the next month as we go into March and each episode comes out. Uh, and we're going to be asking players about what happened on this episode or what's going on. And, and I'm sure they're going to watch it and, and whoever else and recruits and NBA scouts or whatever. And, and I'm sure there will be some benefits for Kentucky down the road. Uh, I'm not sure they will be benefits for this team, this specific team. 
But to, I mean, if, if it does work out like 2011, if it does work out like 2014, kudos to Facebook. Cause they're going to have a hell of a story to, yep. to, 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 you know, from the dark times to the good times. Uh, but if it ends in the first round, like it did two years ago, I don't, I don't know what the, the long lasting benefit of this particular show will be for Facebook or Kentucky. We'll see. I mean, hopefully it's enjoyable for us to watch. All right. We are about running out of time here. Um, Again, Kentucky plays Alabama on Saturday. If you haven't listened to it by then, uh, Arkansas, the next game on Tuesday, we will be back again next week, late in the week to uh, record our podcast to see whether or not Kentucky is in a six game losing streak at that point, or if they have turned the the ship around and, and righted the ship a little bit. We will see, uh, obviously throughout the postseason, we're going to have it covered here. Uh, a couple other things to make sure you check out in the Courier Journal this week, um, there was a, I had a column about the transfer rule proposals and what maybe that will have to do with, uh, with John Calipari. We've had a lot of coverage about the NBA to Louisville, which we mentioned Cal didn't want to talk about. Uh, Fletcher's going to have it all blown out from Alabama, Arkansas, all these games down the stretch. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Fletcher Page. I'm at John Hale underscore CJ. Until next week, thanks for listening.